I'm Eric Chapman. Welcome to Dispatches, the York Regional Police podcast. And this is a great episode because who doesn't love dogs? Well, cat people, but that's a whole other thing. There are some tools of the trade in policing that often catch the eye of the public when they are used. But reevaluating their use when and where they're deployed is a constant process. But understanding what their potential value is and why is also important. So I'd like to welcome my guest to the show and we're just going to go around the horn and maybe you could just introduce yourselves and what de- department you're in and why did you get into policing? Sure. Um, so my name is uh, Staff Sergeant Aaron Busby. I'm with the Marine and Underwater Recovery Unit. Um, got into policing uh, about 24 years ago mm-hmm. and I uh, just like the uh, the idea of always being involved and helping out. Yeah, cool. Let's go you, Mr. K-9. Uh, my name is uh, Mark Hannon, the Staff Sergeant uh, in charge of the K-9 unit here at York Regional Police. Uh very similar to Aaron. I've been uh, in policing roughly 24, 25 years. Uh, and it was something that I wanted to do from a, a really young age. No police in the family. So it was a bit of an eye opener. But uh, yeah, just something I was always interested in from a really young age. Do you remember what it was that got you when you were that young? Like what was, was it chips? Did you watch chips? Oh, or? definitely. Yeah, 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 definitely. But it was even before that, I got, I got pictures of about three. My grandfather had like a little police uniform okay. made for me and I used to wear that around and yeah. bomb around in the basement on a bike that I guess at the time made sense. Yeah, but. sure. <laughs> That's great. Cool. All right. My name is Steve McKenzie. I'm a sergeant in our uh, emergency response unit. I'm the baby of the group. I've only been on uh, 18 years. And, uh, oh, wow. The- yeah, the only, still a while though. It's still a while yeah, to go. Yeah. Um, what got me into policing was much like uh, my counterparts here was just a desire to serve. Um, you know, as you asked that question about, uh, you know, some of the other motivators, I watched a lot of cops growing up on Fox. Really? And uh, that was a big motivator to see uh, some of that stuff. So yeah. yeah. Wow. And you love it? Love. Still love it? Yeah. Yeah. What's your, what's, what do you love the most about it? Catching bad guys. Yeah. Eh? Just sticking to the cops plain, theme. Yeah. Plain and that's simple it. as that. You know, there are bad people out there and they mm-hmm. need to be stopped. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, I've been fortunate to learn under these officers in different capacities and, uh, you know, catching bad guys is the number one goal of being an officer. Okay. All right. And you're dedicated to it. I love it. Yeah. All right. That's cool. Okay. So let's start with you then. We, it's mostly known as SWAT, special weapons and tactics, but here, what is it? So here it's the ERU. So the emergency response unit, we assist uniform investigators, um, with any type of call or situation that's outside of their training, um, or equipment, uh, that they have, uh, we bring to the table, um, a variety of tools, uh, whether it's with uh, armed suspects or people who are in uh, mental distress. Uh, you know, our number one goal is to um, apprehend or arrest people using the minimal amount of force uh, possible. Okay. And uh, I think we do a very good job here of that. Okay. How many, uh, how many officers are in the unit? We have 30 right now. Okay. So we have uh, four sergeants, including myself, we have one staff sergeant and the rest are constables. Now you're taking over when other officers don't have the tactics. What kind of training? Is it a regular training and schedule? And you can take us through some of the stuff you maybe do? Yeah. So we have a variety of specialists on the team, ranging from snipers to bomb techs to repel masters to breachers. Um, we have all specific training to those uh, tasks. We also have um, a variety of uh, standards that we need to meet uh, when it comes to firearm qualifications and when it comes to our uh, physical uh, abilities. And so these are all things that have to be taken into account when we're training uh, our members. I'm currently the, the sergeant in charge of training. Oh, okay. Um, so there's uh, adequacy standards that we have to abide by. How often? Uh, how often in re- well yearly for quals, okay. uh, but we shoot probably, um, between 
one and two times a month. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. And then uh, we've been very operationally heavy as of late in regards to the amount of calls. Um, and so, you know, in regards to our members, our training um, uh, has been, uh, sometimes has to be pushed aside for operational calls. And because of the sheer amount of operational calls as of late, mm. um, it's good and bad uh, because you're getting that real world experience. But unfortunately, we're not able to always do as much training as we'd like. Right. How often are you deployed? The unit in regards to uh, calls, I would say operational calls were probably deployed. I'd say one, at least once to twice a day. And when it comes to planned, say warrant um, or other uh, operations, we're probably in the ballpark of two to three a week. Oh, okay. So regularly, yeah. yeah, yeah. What kind of microscope or lens is that the deployment put under? Are there certain standards that have to be met before you guys are sent out? Yeah, in regards to some of our armed barricade calls, where you have a uh, subject in a house, um, for example, a house where uh, they've barricaded themselves in the residence uh, and they may have a weapon, that's where we would come in and take over um, in regards to containment and just trying to bring that call to a, uh, a positive resolu- uh, resolution. Also, in regards to the EDU capacity, so our explosive disposal unit. Uh, if there is anything that uh, has been verified in regards to, say, an IED, so an improvised explosive device, a white powder, uh, anything of that nature, uh, we're going to roll our bomb text to that. Okay. okay. All right, let's go to the Marine unit. How big is the unit and where do you patrol? Within the region, we have 32 bodies of water and 11 uh, rivers. Really? Uh, yes. Okay. Um, the Some of the, the bodies of water are smaller, of course, but uh, the biggest body of water that we police is uh, Lake Simcoe within the region. Um, there are another number of other agencies that also assist on the water. Uh, however, uh, Lake Simcoe is uh, 744 square kilometers, so it's quite large. Uh, to put that in perspective, the city of Toronto is 630. So if you were to pick up the city of Toronto and put it in the lake, it'd be an island. So it's a it's a very large body of water um, due to the different depths and different areas that can turn up quite quickly. Um, our unit is 12 members strong. Um, we police uh, our, we have a, a boathouse uh, right on the water up in Jackson's Point. So it's at the northern uh, tip of our region. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we police uh, 12 months of the year. Uh, we're also the underwater recovery team. Uh, so every one of our uh, marine members are also specialists in uh, underwater recovery. Oh, wow. Well, can we get into that? What's Is there tech involved? Like what does underwater recovery involve? So underwater recovery is is just simply that. It's, uh, it's officers that deploy below uh, the surface of the water. Uh, we uh, deploy for a number of different reasons. Sometimes, unfortunately, it's uh, to recover human remains. Uh, sometimes it's uh, to deploy uh, evidence and then and then other uh, investigative avenues. Um, we also have a number of different uh, pieces of equipment uh, to support that. Uh, so members can go down with uh, metal detectors that are fully uh, submersible. Uh, we also have uh, different uh, side scan sonars uh, that will drag behind a boat and we'll be able to see any anomalies on the bottom of the lake mm. uh, if we're looking for someone or something. Mm. That's oh. how we'll deploy with that. Okay. Uh, is, do you do lots of, because the lake is so big, are you the only jurisdiction that patrols it or do you do lots of multi-jurisdictional work with other departments? So we're happy to uh, to work with uh, multi-jurisdictional um, officers and, and there's even some response with uh, some fire services out on the water. So oh. uh, we're able to uh, 
to assist and, and help, uh, help each other out because, um, you know, sometimes when we're looking for someone based on the fact that the lake is so big and, and based on the fact we only have so many officers on at one time, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, we try to bring them, uh, the other services in for a lot of support. Mm, I see. Do you patrol a lot or is it lots of just response to calls? Uh, we we do some patrol. Yeah. Um, you know, we make sure that uh, in the summertime, especially on weekends, we're out. We uh, we're a very community oriented unit. Uh, we try to walk oh, yeah, the beaches. So, yeah, we, okay. yeah, we do a lot of water safety initiatives for uh, for young young people. Um, we'll like I said, we'll walk the beaches and we'll interact with uh, with a lot of the community. There, we also do things on land. So we're also supporting our uh, search and rescue units. Uh, become uh, we we come self contained. So we show up. We have all of our own equipment. Uh, we have uh, UTVs and ETVs and uh, airboats uh, for the winter to be able to respond in ice situations. Uh, we do all of the training for the uniform members in their cold water rescue response uh, just to try to get uh, those assets on ground quicker. Wow. What's the number one issue out on the water that you find that you maybe want to share that people are more aware of it and they don't participate in that event or whatever it is? Uh, I think that the biggest thing is that the people are not prepared to go in that lake. I, oh, I think how so? A a lot of people just uh, they take for granted, and and maybe they've spent a bit of time on on a smaller lake, uh, maybe on on a cottage boat, and they don't understand that Lake Simcoe, uh, like I said, is quite large. Uh, a lot of them will they'll go out, they don't know how to use electronics, they don't know how to ask for help. So we get a lot of calls, and uh, usually they'll say, "I'm in the middle of Lake Simcoe," and um, that's a big spot. So uh, we're just not exactly sure where to find them, and and that hinders our operation. Right. Okay. All right. That's good to know. All right. Uh, what's it like having a dog? as your partner? Well, I don't currently have a dog as my partner okay. now. In the role that I have now, it's uh, it's more administrative, but I did spend a, a period of time in the unit uh, and I had three different uh, police service dogs. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a different relationship because you're really with the dog more than you're with your friends, more than with your family, more than with your coworkers because uh, you work a, a block of of two days, two nights, uh, and then you're off for four, four days. But, uh, during those four, 12 hour shifts, you're with that dog. And then on your days off, the dog comes home with you. So, oh. uh, th- there's quite a bond that you, uh, you develop with the dog. And do you get them at a fairly young age? Yeah. Anywhere from 10 months to, to 24 months would normally be where we were looking uh, for the dog. When we get the dogs, uh, they have no training whatsoever. Uh, so some of the issues that come up with a dog beyond that 24 month period, they, they might've already had some, uh, training, uh, put into them and it might not be we, the training that we were looking for. So we prefer to have dogs that, uh, that have no training and, and we have trainers uh, on staff that, uh, that look after that. What's a career length for a canine? Um, it, it really depends. Um, 10 years, uh, or the life of the dog, uh, oh, d- wow. depending on, on what, uh, what comes first. We've had some members that, uh, haven't remained in the unit that long. And we've had other members that have been, uh, much beyond that point. Um, as I mentioned, we do all our own training in house. So there is, uh, a level of expertise that's built up over the years. And that isn't going to be something that's going to come uh, about quickly. Mm-hmm. So, um, we have been fortunate to be able to retain some members much beyond, mm. uh, that, that time. Well, um, Brie, are they all German shepherds? Uh, it's, it's a little bit of both for, okay. um, that's, I think what most people, if you get a, somebody says to you a police dog, that's probably the first thing that you think of, but there's a lot of other, um, dogs that are utilized, uh, Belgian Malinois, some Dutch shepherds, 
Uh, and then for detector work, you see some uh, retrievers, uh, dogs of that uh, that nature. Does their ability to sniff things out ever cease to amaze you? <laughs> yeah, it, it's uh, not as much now as when I first got into the unit yeah. because I think I was a little skeptical, yeah. like some uh, some others, and it's quite impressive their their ability to detect whatever odor it is that uh, that mm-hmm. you're looking for is. And it's anything you can get, you can train them to. How do you train a dog to sniff something? Uh, it depends what it is. So we, our dogs are trained um, to track an individual. That's basically following uh, the scent okay. um, from point A to point B. And, and when I say scent, uh, that's going to be a combination uh, of skin rafts. All of us, as, as we're sitting here, as we're doing anything, we have dead skin cells that are going to be falling off of our body. So the combination of those, uh, the food that we're eating, the types of deodorants we use, the type of um, where we're living. Your Axe body um, spray, if ex- you wear it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then if you're out and you're disturbing the ground, so that that ah. combination uh, creates like a set picture for the dog and that's what the dog's uh, following. So the dogs uh, are trained to track uh, the basic canine handler course where they where they learn to track, they turn to, uh, learn to search buildings, learn obedience. Um, that's three months. And then uh, beyond that, once they finish that course, once the handler and the dog go out, because each member is assigned a dog. It isn't like a pool of dogs and you go in one day and grab one. Right. Each, each member is assigned a dog. So once you finish that basic canine handler course, which is about three months, we'll normally have uh, that handler. Uh, and when I use the term handler, that's the officer that's assigned uh, to the unit and looks after the dog. Um, normally after a year, then we'll cross train that dog in one profile. So it would either be explosives, human remains, uh, narcotics, firearms, or currency. You said the the intensity of the training and the relationship with the dog is sticking in my head. What's like a typical day with the dog? Like how often are you with that dog? Like, I mean, all all day long, but are you constantly training and teaching and him to you and them to you as well, I guess? So we're, we're very, very fortunate like uh, Marine and like uh, the ERU, we're a regional support unit. So we provide support to the frontline members and investigative uh, branches. Um, so there is time set aside uh, for us to train. And normally, if there isn't a specific call for service that we could be of assistance, uh, we'll be spending time through our shift uh, training every day and all the different profiles that the dogs are responsible for. And it must be really handy having the training on site. I, I'm staying at the hotel just across and I was watching whoever was training yesterday yeah. and it seemed like, yeah, it's, it's hardcore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, those, th- those were two new handlers that just started, I think they're on day eight. Okay. Um, so yeah, they just started uh, two weeks ago, and yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, what happens when they retire? When they retire, they become a pet. So they do. Yeah, hey, they just go. They, they get adopted. Yeah, they get adopted out to usually the handler. Uh, oh, takes I love them and that. And then they come home and uh, they become a pet because through, although if if you watch TV, there's there's shows on TV now, and you know, I mean. The, dog comes home and drives in the front seat with the guy and then, or girl, and then comes home and dogs run around the house. Well, it doesn't quite work like that. Uh, There's a very, uh, there's a break between like home life and and work here. Home life isn't uh, too stimulating just so work is the only name in the game. So they're very motivated to work once, uh, once they get here. Um, so they're they're normally kept separate from the family. They normally live um, in a kennel outside, just so they're acclimatized to the weather, both uh, warm and uh, and cold. But a lot of times, they're once they retire, then they're 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 brought indoors and. Uh, 
level of stimulation that they have by their retirement isn't quite what it was right. during the working stage. So they, they still react though. Sometimes if you say certain words, oh, and do you, do you teach, do you train them in English or I've heard that sometimes they're trained in German? They, or- they can be, um, depending on where the dog is from, they could have had some, some brief training and it could be in Czechoslovak, you know, it could be in German or okay, again, yeah, but yeah. normally we revert back over to English. Uh, I'm just wondering what what do you want the public to know about the ER unit because the just sort of the the climate now things the way people are when they see units like yours out they're really people you know they react to it so mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you if you what would you want to say about the ER unit to those people that you know have that sort of feeling about it well you know what I mentioned before in regards to when we deploy we are always looking to use the minimum amount of force that is necessary to achieve uh, a positive outcome you know so whether it be someone uh, who's in crisis uh, who has armed themselves with a weapon or whether it be a violent criminal uh, we are constantly assessing and reassessing uh, what we are bringing to ground in regards to tools and what tactics we are employing Employing, um, to safely take that person uh, into custody, uh, whether that person is going to go to jail or the hospital. Uh, it is something that uh, we do not take lightly. We understand the current climate and uh, we have a very high standard within the team uh, where we are constantly debriefing every call that we go to and uh, essentially nitpicking at each other because we understand how important it is that uh, accountability. If you're going to get better, yeah. uh, you need to be able to look at yourself in the mirror and each other and say, Hey, by the way, like this is something we, we should focus on. Um, and that is really brought, uh, as I said before, our standard, uh, to a very high level in my opinion. Yeah. Wow. That's good to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how often do you have to requalify for the ERU? So there's numerous uh, weapon systems that we have to requalify on, you know, to start at the beginning before an officer can become a member of our unit. Uh, they have to be in uniform for uh, a certain amount of time. And then there's a stringent process uh, that they have to go through in regards to um, even being an applicant for the team. Can you take us through maybe a few things of what that is? Sure. There's going to be uh, what we call selection week. And that is a week of uh, a lot of uncomfortable things that they go under uh, in regards to stress-filled situations. Um, We go through some phobia training. Uh, Once that takes place uh, and they are successful, they'll go on to numerous courses that we have. Uh, It's approximately nine to 12 weeks of training. And then uh, there'll be an alternate for the team. So what happens is they're not actually on the team as of yet. Now in regards to once they make the team, uh, the requalifications uh, is everything from our physical uh, to, like I said, our weapon systems, uh, our less lethal systems. So uh, our uh, T7 taser, uh, there's other less lethal uh, tools that we bring uh, to the table in regards to they have to be requalified on an Arwin, which is essentially a rubber bullet gun. Um so yeah, that would be uh, the vast majority, you know, in regards to driving. There's also some driving stuff that they have to, we need to take care of because of some of our vehicles. Um, I think that uh, our repel, repel uh, okay, specific yep. guys, they need to do their, um, their quals. Our snipers have to do their quals and our EDU techs, we are currently looking at a system where we can requalify them in-house. It, we go to the Canadian Police College for our initial training for bomb uh, training, but uh, we're looking to do something more in-house in the future. All right. In the Marine unit, um, what kind of boats? Do you have speed boats and flotation? Like, what do you have 
for yeah, boats. So, so we have a number of different uh, uh, vessel platforms. So uh, we have two large uh, vessel platforms, which are uh, all metal boats for me by hike. Uh, they're roughly 40 feet long, uh, weigh 22,000 pounds each. Uh, we also have, uh, we call it a, a QRV. So it's a quick response vessel. So it's a uh, inflatable uh, boat with twin 200s. Uh, it can, it can uh, handle rough water. However, it's able to get places uh, pretty quick. Uh, we also have another uh, all metal boat that we use for uh, in and land bodies of water for uh, for dive response, that type of thing. Uh, we also have an airboat. Uh, that airboat is a, it's like a large fan boat, mm-hmm. um, a little bit different than the ones you see in in Florida. Uh, however, this has the capability of transitioning from water uh, to ice and then back, wow. um, so it, it's able to uh, to respond when uh, the ice is uh, break up or freeze up. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have uh, PWCs, so we're out on Sea uh, Dews as well, um, and. Uh, then we, we have the, the ATVs, all the, the land, um, okay. the off-road uh, vehicles. So ATVs, UTVs, that type of thing. So many types of boats. Are you constantly training on how to drive and react in certain situations and conditions? Yes. Uh, so our officers go on quite lengthy uh, course. We're actually, uh, York Regional Police has the ability to sign off through Transport Canada. Uh, so we're able to do our own in-house training for that. Um, but uh, some of the training uh, requires, uh, and and some of the boats actually require special licensing. So once you are a member for two years, you can challenge the test through Transport Canada and you're able to pilot the uh, the larger boats. Uh, so you have to have a, a master's license to operate those, those vessels. Oh, wow. That's no joke. Cool. Um, you mentioned before recovery. Um, I'm picturing a diver, you know, down in the bottom silt everywhere. It's probably not very, can you get it a little more into description of that and anything that is used to support maybe some tech or drones that are used to support you in searches in the, in the dark, cold water? Yeah. Um, so our officers deploy in, in water that is not uh, normally uh, deployed in. So, uh, we're not considered recreational divers. In fact, our members have to go off and they're actually commercial divers. So we, we attend a, a, a school, uh, locally, um, they're gone, they're full-time students for over two months. Uh, before they come back and that's just the the beginning of it um, we train and we dive uh, both scuba and also surface supplied um, so we're actually able to push air down to the diver through a umbilical line uh, these officers are always online so we have special search patterns based on the fact that uh, once you're down in the in the bottom uh, often you're you're diving in zero visibility and all you're doing is you're reaching out and touching things so we're able to uh, deploy the diver by line signals and all also, uh, they have communications with us. But once the diver uh, deploys and goes to the bottom, a lot of times they have no idea where they are. And all they do is they keep tension on the line and we spin uh, the diver off the line. Um, so they're able to search just with their hands. Now, prior to going down, uh, if we're able to, we do have uh, some ROVs. And those ROVs are usually used in, in an area where um, it's either heavily contaminated water or in an area which it would not be safe to deploy a diver. We try to put uh, this machine down uh, it does have the ability to to move around on its own, piloted uh, by the operator up on the surface. Uh, it does have a video capability, and it actually has a claw, so we're able to reach out and grab things. Oh, what is it? What does it look like? Uh, it's small. It, uh, it's probably the size of a beach ball. Um, oh, it's tiny. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we're able to deploy it down into the water. And like I said, it has an umbilical line um, and it's powered from the top. Um, so we don't have to worry about batteries uh, wearing out. Um, and yeah, we're able to uh, to move it around. But again, like it, it relies on view. So if we're in an area where there is uh, no view, then um, we're not able to use that. Then we're, after, we're back to the diver. Huh. Wow. It's a lot of training of feeling. Like you 
you can probably can close your eyes and figure out what things you're good at that Halloween game when you stick your hand in to figure yeah. out what it is. That's that's an amazing thing, a talent to be able to have. That's really yeah, impressive. A lot of officers actually, when they're on the bottom, they actually just close their eyes. Uh, is they that right, eh? They can't see anything anyway. Yeah. So it's actually for spatial awareness, it's just better for them to close their eyes and then uh, they just reach out and they feel. Have you experienced that? Are you, a, have you yes. gone down? Yeah. yeah. Just going to, take it back so everybody understands what does ROV stand for so we know what we're talking about here. So ROV just stands for remotely operated uh, vehicle. Okay, so perfect. You mentioned phobia in the training. I'm wondering in a lot of um, ex- um, explanations of the training of four officers, you really do get to know yourself with things like that, don't you? And is that, is that, how does that help you as an officer? You know, it, it starts to speak to your own personal limitations, which we all have. And, you know, there it puts a certain amount of responsibility on each individual officer to push themselves through those limitations because, you know, the day may come when your life or another officer's life or, uh, you know, civilian's life may require you uh, to do something that you're very uncomfortable doing. So I do think that the phobia training is very important. And as you heard from uh, staff, uh, Sergeant Busby, in regards to, you know, blackout conditions, confined spaces, uh, those are uh, training um situations that we'll put our members through Mm -hmm. in order to ensure that they can operate in that environment, although they may be very uncomfortable doing so. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Thanks. Um, Cool tech and special units is great, but knowing why these types of units are needed and what scenarios they're deployed in helps the public better understands the methods used and of course why. I'd like to thank my guests for joining me today. For Dispatches, I'm Eric Chapman. (laughs) 